Praise the Lord. So good to see all of you. Today we've got to address the, one of the great sins of our day, the sin of worry or of anxiety. So that means that worry and anxiety, yes, are sins. And we all know we struggle with it. It's just what area do we struggle with it? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of our relationships? Is it in the wor- area of uh, re- um, uh, with work or maybe an exam that's coming up? We all kind of deal with this. And so you might get anxious if you think about something in the near future. Some of you struggle with anxiety over political issues. Some of you over sporting events. We all struggle with it. And some of you, I know this morning, are even struggling to focus because of whatever it is that's filling your mind even right now and making you anxious. And I have to admit that I think that there was some anxiety on our platform this morning. This morning in our staff meeting, Richard Humphrey said, I love the song, Lord, I lift, uh, Lord, uh, listen to your children praying. And so he started singing it. And I said, I think you found your featured soloist today. And I think he was worrying right up until the moment. And now it's shifted, and every other staff member is now worried what Steve might do (laughs) when they're on the platform. Some people find anxiety more of a struggle than others. We all recognize that. So what about you? Do you struggle with worry? Or maybe better said, in what area do you struggle with anxiety and worry? Well, Paul speaks to the issue of anxiety in his letter to the Philippians. So somewhere around 51 A.D., Paul visits the Roman colony of Philippi. He goes and shares the gospel, wins many to, the, uh, many to Christ. He establishes a church there. And about 10 or 12 years later, he writes a letter to this church. And the letter is what we read today, the letter of, to the Philippians. And in here, he, his purpose was, in writing was to kind of address some of his personal circumstances, what he was going through. It was to uh, thank them or recognize them for the concern that they showed towards him and a gift that they had sent to him by way of a messenger named Epaphroditus. He also, in the letter, addresses a concern about Epaphroditus' health, and now that he's returning, he points out certain um, spiritual uh, disciplines that he thinks needs to be uh, evident in their life, and then he warns them about the dangers of false teachers. That's the purpose of the letter to the Philippians. But as we hammer away at all of those uh, practical details, you start to uncover this bright, shining gem of what one writer calls irrepressible joy. Paul is writing to them from Rome. His life is upside down. His circumstances are out of whack, but they were not enough to diminish this abounding joy that was in his soul. So we've been studying through Philippians in light of this joy, and we've called it inescapable joy. Now, Paul was in chains as a prisoner in Rome, but we find he couldn't escape from the joy that was in his heart. So over and over again, Paul writes and uses the word joy and rejoice in different places. And he is not writing to them to tell them how to have joy. He's not writing to instruct them on how to rejoice. That's not it. He's writing about those other things. But it's as if that joy that's in his heart just bubbles up and bubbles over into all these other areas that he's addressing in the letter. And here's what we know. Jesus is the source of Paul's joy. It's not his circumstances. It's not uh, his education. None of that. It is Jesus. So this irrepressible joy should be present in your lives as well. So today we're going to look at some of Paul's concluding remarks 
You've probably noticed that many of the verses that you have memorized are from the book of Philippians. It's just, there's a lot of memorable verses here. And the uh, ones that we're going to be looking at this morning, I would say, are particularly memorable. Now, we will not get to what's probably the most popular verse in Philippians, which is Philippians 4.13. Now, I think there's a lesson to be learned from that. A couple weeks ago, we had this challenge to kind of, uh, to not grumble. Well, how in the world do you go through life without grumbling? Well, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. Same thing here. How do we go through life without worry? Well, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So turn with me to Philippians 4, and I'm going to read to you this morning, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul commands the church at Philippi to rejoice, give thanks, pray, and cultivate these virtuous thinking in order that peace might act as a guard over their lives. So in order to experience this inescapable joy God has made available to us, we must wage war with worry. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So how do we do it? How do we deal with worry? This passage shows us that we can battle worry through fixed joy, proper prayer, and right thinking. So we're going to look at the first battle plan, fixed joy. Now Paul's written a long letter here. And he comes to kind of the concluding remarks here, and he offers some, some advice. But I would say it's probably more than advice. Paul presents uh, these, uh, this advice as imperatives. This is exhortation or admonition toward godly living. You must do this is kind of the idea there. And the idea is if you are living in devotion to the Lord, these attributes should be evidence of that in your attitude and in your actions. This is not merely living uh, religious piety. It's piety that comes as a result of devotion to the Lord. So these things start to flow out of my relationship with Jesus. It's, we know that it's fruit of the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit at work in my life shows evidence through these things that we, he, he uh, admonishes the church towards. Not just individuals, but the church as a whole. So he starts off with this overarching theme we've been looking at over the last several weeks, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's as if he's saying, you know, because he says, I'll say it again. It's as if he's saying, I'm serious. You know, this is not just a cliche here. Rejoice. He's driving it home for us in the passage. Now, everybody in our culture seems to be obsessed with happiness and finding it. But they're frustrated because they can't lay their hands on it. So they're all searching for it, but they're frustrated because they can't find it. And what we've learned is that that's the problem. They're looking for happiness instead of the thing that produces happiness. Because we have determined that happiness is a byproduct of certain things. Paul did not seek joy. He sought to live for the Lord. And as a byproduct, joy came flowing out of his life. The scripture is clear that joy is that fruit of the Spirit. 
Living in the Spirit will produce joy in your life. So what exactly is joy? Is it happiness? What is it? Well, this is how Dallas Willard defines it. He says, joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being. It is pervasive. It touches every area, every corner of your life. It's constant. That means it never is, uh, it's not slower at some times and faster at others. It's constant. And it's unending, meaning it will persevere. It's the sense of well-being that I know, my circumstances may be out of whack, but I know whose hands I'm in. I know who's in control of my life and in control of the world. And the Christian church should have a corner on joy. We should have a corner on the market. You know, for some reason, the church for a period of time became uh, recognized or associated with kind of the wearing of black, long faces, kind of drab rituals. And you think, did they ever read this book? Did they ever read what Paul wrote? How in the world did they preach it or read it or even apply it if that's the way that they express their relationship to God? People ought to come in here into a gathering of God's people singing his praises, pursuing him, studying his word, and recognize there is joy, real joy in the place. That's the way it ought to be. Gordon Fee indicates that unadulterated, unhindered joy is, or at least should be, he writes, the distinctive mark of the believers in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not come so his followers could be miserable, could be weighed down with a heavy burden. He came in order that we might experience an abundance of life characterized by joy. In fact, Jesus says in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's what Jesus is doing in our hearts and our lives. So Paul says rejoice in the Lord. You have to notice he says in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in, you know, other things. Not rejoice in the Gamecocks. You can't always rejoice. And before you tigers, you can't always rejoice in the tigers either. That's your circumstances. You can't rejoice in them. But you can in the Lord. You can rejoice in the Lord. So Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And that's a command. It's an imperative spoken to us. Now, if joy is simply a feeling, then this is kind of absurd. You know, to command somebody, well, be joyful. Come on, pull it together, you know. And we do that sometimes as parents, you know. It's like, come on, get happy. You know, that's kind of the, the way that we react to them. I can't command you to be happy. And, of course, the sermon title is Don't Worry, Be Happy. But generally speaking, our feelings are dictated by much more than our will. You know, there are other things that kind of play into our feelings uh, that, that affect it. But Paul says we are to will this pervasive sense of well-being in our lives always. Now, that's a tall order. But for the Christian, joy does not come and go. It has the ability, ability to be constant because the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, is always at work in your life and has the ability to produce that joy. So next we get this admonition to let your gentle spirit be known to all. Now I want you to imagine the original recipients of this letter. They are dealing with persecution. They're sharing with the, in the sufferings of Christ. They had a real unknown future. And Paul reminds them that they've been freed from sin for the sake of joy. And as they interact with this watching world in these difficult circumstances, they should be known for what? For their gentle 
forbearance, for their, for their graciousness. It kind of carries the uh, notion of being magnanimous. You know, to rise above what's been done to you. Or to rise above the way that everybody else is. And you're just magnanimous in it. It's that big heartedness that the Christian should be known for. Let your gentle spirit be known by all. Then he gives this indicative comment. Let your gentle spirit be known by all as the Lord is near. So I was thinking, does that mean because God is always watching or he can always, he's always listening? Or does it mean because the Lord, Lord's return is near? What well, probably means both. But I think that there's a strong sense here with regards to eschatology. That Christ's return is coming soon. So that should act as a comfort for the Philippians, as well as a motivation towards godly living or the devoted life. So let's return to the idea of fixed joy here. A constant joy in the Lord always. In order to experience fixed joy, we must de disconnect our joy from feelings or from emotion and connect it to our position. Because we are believers in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. We all have this shared experience in Columbia right now. It happens about this time every year. Uh, is that we wake up in the mornings and we don't quite know what to put on. Because what's the weather going to be like, you know? Is it going to be warm or is it going to be cold? You know, so the uh, other day after that cold snap gave way to fake spring, I saw on my windshield that yellow film. And I thought, what in the world? It's February. Is that really pollen? And then I saw the blooms on the trees. And I thought, oh, man. And what happened? The next day, we're back to late winter, you know, and it just kind of throws us all for a loop. F.B. Meyer said, and this is my translation of his uh, comment, he says, our feelings are as changeable as Columbia February weather. <laughs> they are affected by an infinite number of subtle causes. Our physical health, the state of the atmosphere, over-weariness, want of sleep, as well as those that are spiritual and inward. So our feelings should not dictate our joy because we're commanded to rejoice that does not come and go with the seasons it's a constant rejoice in the Lord always so why do we lack joy because you say well Wes you're preaching that but I know that the joy is not always evident there or maybe even right now you would say particularly in this moment I don't sense the joy there and how am I supposed to be joyful whenever I, I don't sense it there well, I would suggest to you a few reasons that maybe the Christian lacks joy. First of all, is there a lack of communion with God? We often lack joy because we're not living in relationship with the Lord. When's the last time you spent time in his word? When's the last time that you spent committed time in prayer? What's your communion with the Lord like? What's your relationship with him like? If we're not mindful of him or if we don't enjoy being with him, then the joy is not going to be there. So that may be one reason. Another reason that maybe the joy is not there in the Christian life is because there's sin in your life. Maybe unconfessed or unrepentant sin in your life. You don't have joy because you're living as a slave to sin. And so that just is kind of removed from your life. Hopefully you take notice before more, uh, you know, more things happen to your life. You have unconfessed un wrongdoing in your life and it's affected your sense of well-being. A third reason... There may be others, but a third reason may be that you are in a season of testing. You know, I found that there are seasons of life where it is especially difficult to experience this sense of joy. Um, this is where lack of feeling does not come because I'm in sin or because I'm not, I'm, I'm here studying the word, I'm spending time in prayer, but I just, it's, it's a struggle for me to connect with the Lord or to sense the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
F.B. Meyer says, it may be that Christ would teach us to distinguish between love and emotion of love. I think you could interchange there. It may be that Christ would teach us to distinguish between joy and from a feeling of joy. Because this is a season where we're to remain faithful and we dig deep for the well that God has in store for us. So we battle worry through joy, which is a decision of the will. Rejoice, I will say it again, rejoice. And then secondly, we battle worry through proper prayer. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we now arrive at the issue of the day, anxiety or worry or undue concern with matters. Paul gives the negative command here with kind of a positive thrust. Be anxious for nothing. Now remember the circumstances that Paul's readers are facing. They had real opposition to their Christian life. They were sharing in Christ's sufferings. They had uh, what would amount to right cause for being concerned about their future. To, to maybe even have worry. But the scripture doesn't say, but it's okay to worry if it's real serious, like this kind of thing. It doesn't say that. It says, be anxious for nothing. In fact, there's this twist of words here in verse 6. It says, it uh, contrasts the words, in everything, with what we just read, for nothing. So worry for nothing, but in everything, pray. Sometimes I wonder what God thinks about some of my prayers, you know. Because I pray about everything. I, some of my most fervent prayers when I was a college student. And I was driving around campus trying to find a parking place. And I would say, dear God, please, 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 you know, uh, provide. And I wonder, but the scripture says in everything that I'm to pray. So Paul says, open the gates for your requests. Let them be known. But he does specify that our prayers should be offered with thanksgiving. In fact, you might just circle that. That might be the critical component here uh, with thanksgiving. Gordon Fee writes, petition accompanied by thanksgiving puts both prayer and our lives into proper theological perspective. So to pray with thanksgiving does not simply imply that when we pray, we say, God, and I thank you in advance for your answer to this. Now, we do say that. We verbalize that sometimes, but that's not what it means. It means that when we go before God, we have a posture of gratitude. We don't walk in there before the throne presuming upon God. We don't walk before the throne demanding from God, but we go before him with this attitude of gratitude, this attitude of thanksgiving. You know why? Because everything we have is a gift. So when I come before you, I recognize every good thing I have is a result of you. And so I don't come before you entitled. I come before you thankful for what you've done. Now the world is really lacking for grateful hearts. Have you noticed this? Kind of entitlement is the rule of the day. But before you start agreeing and saying, you're right, they're so entitled, they're so ungrateful, us too. We think we deserve everything we have. We think we're entitled to it. In some ways, that's how we pray to God. But everything we have is a gift. Lack of gratitude is the first step towards idolatry. So now uh, look what happens. Verse 6 says, we worry about nothing, but in everything we pray with thanksgiving. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're tempted to worry. Instead of worrying, we go to God, we have thanksgiving, we make our needs known, and God gives us 
His peace, His divine peace. Well, what does that mean? Does this mean that we have peace because we are confident that He's going to answer exactly like we ask Him to? No, I don't believe that's what it means. I believe it means we pray to a God who's trustworthy every time. When you go before him, he is able to do anything you ask him to do. There is nothing beyond his reach. So he's capable of that, so he's trustworthy. And I receive his peace because his peace surpasses my understanding. When I go before God with my needs, all I have is my understanding, right? Which means this needs to be removed. This needs to be changed. Don't let this happen. But now I go before God. And I receive his peace, which is divine. It sees over the top of all of my circumstances, and I get God's peace. I recognize the world's in chaos, but God is in control. So that's what we receive. We pray and we're given the peace of God to do what? The scripture says to guard our hearts. Doesn't that flow right out of the admonition to worry about nothing? God's peace will guard my heart and guard my mind when I think my heart and my mind are so prone to be affected by the change of the wind or by the change of circumstances. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving, and peace. These are the quintessential elements of the Christian life, according to Paul. Uh, he, he uses them a lot in his writings. And do you know what the key to the, that kind of life is? I think it's the indicative statement in verse 5. The Lord is near. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving, and gratitude or peace because the Lord is is near. So let me draw application from you for, for you from this one idea of joy, prayer, thanksgiving, and peace as quintessential elements of the Christian life. Our post-Christian, post-modern world has lost its bearings. It's totally out of control. And I believe that is primarily a result of the fact that we have abandoned God. So as a result, which has become more prevalent in our communities? Is it fear or joy? Fear is much more prevalent in our community than joy is. But the overflow of joy in our lives, the communion with God that we have, the thanksgiving that's in our hearts, the peace that's guarding us, contrasts with the way of the world. It's a noticeable thing. And it bears witness to something different in our lives. It does not bear witness that our circumstances are better, that we always have perfect health, that we don't struggle with financial issues, that we don't have family or loved ones that are going through difficult circumstances. That's not what it bears witness to. We face all of those same things. You might, bear, you might face worse than those things that other people do. But the thing that's constant is the Holy Spirit work in my life. So I can have joy. I can go before God in prayer. I have thanksgiving and I have peace to guard my heart. Let me tell you, that's probably the best evangelistic tool we have is a life lived like that. So joy, prayer, thanksgiving, and peace... What's missing? Anxiety. Because the cure for anxiety is prayer. So how do you implement this into your life? I think this, you must remind yourself that a God who is near is a God I can speak to. If God is here, that means I can pray to him no matter where I am or what I'm going through. Now praying is not talking to yourself. I think sometimes we think that. We say, well, I prayed about it, but really you just talked about it. And you say, you even think, I need to pray about that. But you don't really go to God with it. See, I think our cycle of self-talk can create anxiety in us. I know what it's like to have something in your head and then hear fear knocking at the door, play through all the possible outcomes of what might happen. I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't know why I've been invited to this meeting. I don't know uh, if the test is going to ask this question or not. I don't know those things. 
But I play it out in my head, and I start going through the scenarios, and this cycle of self-talk begins, and I talk myself into worry. This happened to me just this past week while I'm writing the sermon. All of a sudden, something slipped in my head, something outside, fear starts knocking, and I start thinking, ugh, and I can't focus anymore. And I'm thinking about that, and I get concerned, overly worried, I get stressed out, just because I can sit without even knowing. I'm writing the sermon, and it took me a few minutes to catch myself, but I did. You know what I did? I said, Lord, and it was as if in that moment, it just got lifted. The peace of God came to guard this heart and mind. So thinking it through is not the same thing as praying with thanksgiving. Because figuring it out for myself is not enough. I must present it to God and allow him to intervene. So to defeat worry, you must practice proper prayer habits. Finally, we battle worry through right thinking. So verses 4 through 7 speak to those times when peace is lacking in your life. And then verses 8 and 9 are about cultivating a life where peace seems to rule. It comes by way of right thinking. He says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know how we say you are what you eat? Well, I think sometimes you are what you think. And you get... Your life is in chaos because you allow chaotic things to cultivate the land of your mind. And you end up negative because you allow negativity to cultivate your mind. And you wonder why you struggle with temptation, but you put tempting thoughts there because of the things that you put in front of you. And so Paul's saying, he's saying that here, dwell on the right things, not the wrong things. Now the interesting thing is this is not that we're to dwell only on explicitly Christian things. It's okay to enjoy other forms of productions or activities, but apply a filter there. And the filter is this. Is it morally excellent? Is it praiseworthy? I'm not going to let anything else in. And then in verse 9, Paul presents himself as a model. He says, if you see it in me, then you can live that way. Now, that may sound haughty. Why does he say that? But that was, that's the way that he tried to live is to be a good role model. If your role model lives a destructive life, then you're probably going down the same path. But if your role model is a person of noble character and high moral standards, it will produce God's peace in your life. So when anxiety slips in, the cure is prayer. When life is disorderly, the cure is mental and practical discipline. So what do you allow to run around in your head? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, We are destroying speculations and every lofting thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are in a culture of message overload. It's easy to let the, discourse, the political discourse of our culture dominate your thinking. It's easy to get obsessed with the rants and raves on social media. It's easy to get buy into the cultural negativity, to uh, fill your mind with the filth coming out of the entertainment industry. But the word of God says, no, ask yourself, is this... All these things in verse 8. If not, then take it captive. So we defeat worry with fixed joy, proper prayer, and right thinking. Here's the bottom line. Worry should not be the regular habit for the Christian life. It's not that we do not struggle with burdens. It's not that we don't face frustrating circumstances. But we have a recipe from the word to help us to avoid this. Fixed joy. 
Proper prayer, right thinking. That's the recipe. So what are you really worried about today? What thoughts are you, are you placing undue concern on? What's derailing your joy, your spiritual life? What's keeping you from living in the reality of what God has done for you? I'd say take a moment today and just say, God, just take it, you know? Let me see with your eyes. Give me your peace. Some of you walk in here today, and the best application for you is not just to cast all your cares on Jesus, but to cast your sin on Jesus. When we go before God, we face him, and we all deserve death penalty. But Jesus in his grace, by going to the cross and dying there, gave us the hope of a life. That life comes only through forgiveness that's made available through Jesus. So today, you can respond to that just by receiving and believing on his name. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Because he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred or brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Our Father and God, we thank you that we have this great example this great illustration, and this great challenge. Now, Father, help us to live in it. Lord, I pray for those today that aren't in relationship with you, that they've been resisting you, that today they may respond. Lord, have your way in our hearts and lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come to a time of invitation. If God's working in your heart or your life, I'll be down front. I'd love to uh, hear from you. Maybe it's to come join our church, follow in believers' baptism, or respond to the gospel. You come forward as God works in your heart. You stand as our choir sings. You respond. morning uh, as a part of our uh, worship service we were to introduce some new members and so Bob is going to introduce them and they're going to get them all lined up here so we can welcome them into the fellowship. Thank you, Pastor. First we have first we have yes Michael and Lisa Fields they're visiting Sunday school classes and she's interested in women's ministry and he in men's ministry. There we go. And Dr. Skip uh, Carton and his wife Caroline, you can see she's involved in choir already, and he's teaching in regeneration Sunday school class, and they're doing many other things as well. Whoops, I got it upside down. And Ken and Linda East are visiting Sunday school classes also. He's uh, involved in the Wednesday men's Bible study, and she's interesting, interested in teaching and leading Bible studies. Uh, Ken's coming home. He was raised here. <laughs> yeah. David and Ruth Ann Bean uh, are in Bible survey class. 
Uh, he's involved in real and senior adult choir, and she in prayer line counseling in, uh, in the senior adult choir. And Rich and Jackie Campbell uh, are in the Bible survey class, and they're still looking at uh, ministry opportunities. Will and Jennifer Clark uh, are in the Growing in Faith class, and uh, he is interested in preschool and pals, and she also in preschool and pals, probably because they've got several small children. Okay. Julie Wianco uh, is serving in the internationals class and is doing that. She's interested in missions as well. And so, and we have Braxton Haynes. Yes, sir. Got the slap in there. He's in the third grade. Parents, Hal and Jenny Haynes. And then we have Dawson Haynes. He's in the first grade. And they've both been baptized. So, And they sit right down over here. And now we've got Ryan Dupree. Got a couple internationals, beginning with Paul Giwa from Burma. And then Heidi Zhao from China. Little applause. We're so glad to have you. We're thrilled to have y'all as part of our church, and some of them have been here for a while, but presented today, and uh, I know some of you need to walk the aisle and get joined as well, and in fact, we have coming up a uh, meet, the, uh, meet the Staff. If you have some questions or you want to know about uh, joining the church, you can kind of look in the bulletin and get signed up for that.